As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. The NHL is coming back, and of course that means the Red Wings are coming back, and so we are coming back. So this is our first episode in a little while here, but we are getting ready to be a lot more regular for you. So we appreciate you sticking with us throughout uh, the very long hiatus of, of of Red Wings hockey here since, since March. But uh, training camp is in less than two weeks. There's very little time to waste. So Prashant, how are you doing? I mean, it still doesn't feel entirely real, like just thinking about it, right? Like we've been talking about this day for for months and months and months, and now all of a sudden, you know, you have an agreement, you have a number of games, you have divisions, uh, you know, all of that's coming out, and 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 it's just it's exciting. It is exciting. It's exciting, and it's also this weird feeling where I'm not a hundred percent sure the rug's not going to get pulled out yet, especially with every little update that comes out of Canada about the provincial. Uh, different regulations about who can play where. I assume there is enough confidence that they're going to get it done, you know, come hell or high water if they're announcing it and, and all the teams are pushing it out and announcing it. But yeah, it is, uh, it's certainly an, an odd, odd uh, time to feel celebratory in the world. But I, uh, I am excited for there to be some real hockey, some real stuff to talk about. And uh, I think we can pretty much get right into it. Yeah, let's do it. So, you know, the Red Wings in a reconfigured central division. They're going to be with still Florida and Tampa Bay from the Atlantic. They're going to be reintroduced to Nashville, Chicago, and then they're going to bring in uh, Dallas, Carolina, and Columbus. And so uh, that is what you're looking at is the Red Wings division and sounds like their entire schedule for this year. It sounds like everything is going to be in division. You're going to see a lot of those teams. Uh, probably I think eight times a year is what that works out to each. So maybe some rivalry vibes there. What are your kind of first impressions of the reconfigured central division and the Red Wings place in it? Yeah, I think a lot of the talk is really centered on first the, the North division, this all Canadian division and what that's going to look like. You know, people have wanted to see that for a while. 
you know, people have talked about the West Division with St. Louis, Colorado, and Vegas all getting grouped together. And then the East, you know, you know, the East was always going to be brutal. And, you know, you've got Boston, Washington, Philly, and Pittsburgh in there. But really, the, the this new Central Division is, number one, quite interesting because you have the Stanley Cup champion and the Stanley Cup runner-up in the same division. So that's already murderer's row. You have Carolina, who was a conference finalist uh, just two seasons ago. And you've got Columbus, who has beaten Tampa and then subsequently beaten Toronto in the last two playoff runs, uh, you know, as a as another kind of wild card team in there. This is a brutal division as well. I mean, when you're looking at it, I mean, you're talking about four of the top 10 teams in the NHL and expected goals four percentage last year, all in the same division here. That is not an easy start uh, for Detroit. And really, you know, unlike the East Division, which has New Jersey, it has Buffalo, you know, a couple teams you can beat up on. There's really Detroit and then Chicago is kind of a uh, maybe a notch above them. And then after that, every other team is 17th or better in the league last year. So this is by no means going to be an easy start for the Red Wings. No, it's not. Uh, and, you know, it's funny that you mentioned kind of all the, the star-studded teams up there at the top. I certainly think there's a clear-cut, you know, upper echelon here. But honestly, my reaction to the division is it's really similar when you look at the overall makeup to the Atlantic. It's almost like you swap out. Toronto, Boston for Carolina, Dallas, and those are your heavyweights. You expect both of those teams and Tampa Bay to be in. Like I expect at the end of the year, those three are in. And then you've got uh, a few teams kind of in that middle that I expect to really be fighting for, uh, for, for a playoff spot. That would be your Columbus. That would be your Nashville and maybe Florida, depending on what they've got going there under Bill Zito. Um, I actually think in a seven game series, I might take Buffalo over Nashville uh, after the Taylor Hall edition. That might be controversial, um, and I might be sleeping on Nashville. They had a really rough, you know, year last year and and lost some players. I, I might be too down on Nashville. I might come to regret that. Um, and then I really think this may be the hot take of of my of, of the division for me. I don't know how much better Chicago is than Ottawa. Obviously, they're way more talented up front. I think their forward group with Kane, Taves, Doc, DeBrinket, miles ahead. But I don't know standings-wise, with their goaltending situation, what it's going to look like for them this year. And I certainly, if I was starting a franchise, you're going to take the Chicago talent they have in there. You're going to take the veterans they have in there, all that stuff. But man, in one year, in a short season, just looking at standings... I don't know. I think it might be closer that might. I think it might be closer than I would have guessed uh, four or five months ago. Yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm Detroit, you're you're kind of banking on getting some wins against Chicago. I think that that is your hope right now. You're you're exactly right. I mean, Chicago's about to head into this season with Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban as their two goaltenders. Like that is not an NHL goaltending tandem. Uh, and so you, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're in trouble there. You look at their defense. I mean, nothing really stands out here. You know, you've still got Duncan Keith as arguably the best defenseman on that team, minus, you know, what Adam Bobquist does. You have to remember that they made the bizarre trade of trading Brandon Saad uh, off this team for Nikita Zadorov, who is not that great of a defenseman. And and somehow they ate salary to do that. So that right. doesn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, you're absolutely right. Chicago does not look... Great. And they still have to sign Dylan Strom, who has not been signed yet. He's still a restricted free agent at this point. Uh, so, yeah, Chicago is where Detroit's going to hope to get their money from. I agree with you, actually, that I don't think Nashville is super impressive on paper. I think they're another one where 
you have to watch their goaltending situation. You know, yep. UC Saros is is really good and really starting to push him, but how much are they going to stick with Pekarene here? You know, Rene's game has really dropped off over the last few years. Uh, Saros really should be the, the the starter there. You know, they buy out Kyle Turris uh, to try and free up some cap space, but they then subsequently don't really do a lot uh, with that cap space. Yes, they've got some talent up front, but, you know, I can, I can get on board with you here that, uh, you know, Buffalo's forward group with Taylor Hall, Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, you know, uh, that's a really solid forward group and could conceivably compete. Now, you have to remember Buffalo's defense is also a train wreck, but we'll set that aside for now. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think there's going to be easy wins uh, for Detroit outside of Chicago here. You know, even uh, Florida and Nashville have always been difficult teams for Detroit. You know, I mean, with how many times have they been blown out uh, going down to sunrise there? Florida did a nice job. Uh, picking up Anthony Duclair, Alex Winberg, you know, they picked up some some nice players. They were able to get Patrick Hornquist, uh, you know, from the Penguins, who's another guy who will, you know, probably add some stuff there. They had a nice sneaky ad in Radko Gudas. Uh, so they, they've done some stuff. And, you know, you got to ask yourself if Bobrovsky is going to have another year like last year or if he rebounds yeah. in any way. And if he does, that's that's a challenge. And so, you know, one of the things I was kicking around in my head, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, is, can Detroit even match their win total from last season? You know, obviously they're going to have 14 fewer games than they played last year, but can they get back to that benchmark, uh, you know, with this new division, or are they still going to be in a, in a difficult spot to get wins? I actually think they're going to surpass their win mark from last season. It wouldn't surprise me to see them in the 20s. Not going to be the high 20s, but I think that it wouldn't surprise me to see them 20, 21, 22 you know, it would it would take probably one hot streak at some point to make that happen with with how I think they're going to perform in general, um, and it does rely on on picking up some of those wins uh, against the Chicago's, the Nashville's, and the Floridas because the rest of their division I I don't see them winning a lot of games against Tampa, or Dallas, or Carolina. I think you know bet- between twenty four games against those three teams, it might be four and twenty. You know, like it, it it's going to be tough sledding. Um, Maybe they can get that to like six and eighteen or something. But I think if I think there's no reason that they can't go toe to toe. They have gone toe to toe even in their gloomy years these last couple seasons with Columbus and with Nashville and with Florida um, and even with Chicago. I mean, it's very possible Chicago is going to play the most like games with. I'm just going to hammer the over on every Blackhawks game. I don't actually bet NHL games, but. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people do that. I'll just say that because between their their offense and, and goaltending combination, it's going to be exciting hockey. I think it's going to be high-scoring hockey. And in a game like that, anything can kind of happen. So I don't think the Red Wings necessarily have the horses to to to, play, to win too many 6-5 to five games this season. But, um, you know, it, let's say they can make those games 4-3 games. I don't I don't dislike their odds at, 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 at winning, you know, close to a split of those games. So um, I think the Red Wings are going to finish last in the division still. I don't think I would say that with, I mean, certainly not 100. I don't think I'd say it with 90% certainty. I think 85% chance they finish last uh, in that division. But I, I think that that gives them a shot at, you know, between 20, 23 wins. I don't think that's unrealistic um, as a as a goal. Uh, I don't know that I would call 23 the expectation, but I think, I think 20 wins is, is not unrealistic expectation here. 
You, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that because one of the things I was doing just as a as an exercise was I was looking at Detroit's record against these teams last year uh, just to see if I could benchmark it because you know obviously Detroit got a little bit better. There's you know going to be some differences here for these teams, but you look at Carolina, they went zero and three. Columbus, yep. they went zero and three. You know, Dallas, they managed to go one and one. Florida, they went zero and three. Tampa, they actually managed to go. One and one against, and so as I'm like going across here, Nashville, they're one and one against. Uh, they they did okay, but I I don't see a ton of wins. Chicago, they went one and one against. So my actually bias was I think they're going to end up with the exact same win total of 17 games. Now that being said, 17 wins in 56 games is much better than 17 and 70 games, uh, and so you can still call that progress, but. I don't. I still don't see a ton of room for for Detroit to make significant strides on their at least their win total. I also looked at like the 2018-19 results. I think those are relevant too here. I mean, I don't think the Red Wings were like a, a much better team in 2018-19 than I think they will be this year. I think they were a little better, but they were bad both years. Right? They took Columbus to overtime once, beat them once, and lost once in a shootout. Um, let's see how they do against Florida a couple of years back. They took them to overtime. Florida, they were one, two, and one, you know, there. So they, they, they did all right against Florida, you know, Chicago, they went oh one and one against, uh, Columbus. They went one and one against Carolina two and one. So, you know, they, they were a little bit better in that setting Tampa oh three and one, uh, yeah. there. So, you know, that's going to be the problem for them. Nashville, they were two and oh against actually. So, you know, that they're going to have some challenges for sure. And, I think one of the variables that we haven't really considered, you know, is how how impactful is is travel uh, for these teams. You know, in years past, going from West Coast swings, coming back home, you almost counted that as a schedule loss. Or, you know, for Detroit, doing the the Florida Panhandle as kind of a tour there, that was another challenge for them. They would always, you know, come away usually with two or, you know, two losses there. Uh, Now you're going to have much limited miles traveled over a season. Uh, you are going to have these games compressed a lot more, uh, potentially more back to back. So who knows? I think uh, basically variance is at an all time high here. So, you know, maybe you could end up with 20 plus wins like Max is saying, or maybe you end up with an even worse win total yeah, than last year. Maybe you end year. up with 14. <laughs> uh, right. And so, yeah. you know, it's really hard to say because I, I do think as much as we want to use prior information here, uh, this schedule is basically set up for maximum variance. There's no fans in the stands. There's you know, compressed schedule, there's less miles traveled, there's this taxi squad variable, and then, oh, by the way, there's still a pandemic going on. So uh, it'll be really, really fascinating to see uh, how Detroit fares in this new division. Let me actually rephrase then, because rather than saying 20 to 23 wins, which, you know, the more I think about it, the more ambitious it sounds. How about I'm going to say 40 to 48 points? That sound more realistic? Then you're factoring in the OT losses that I expect will be part of this. I think that feels a little more realistic than to say 20 to 23, 24 wins, 40 to 48 points. I could buy that. I think mentally in my head, I've got them pegged at about 40. Okay. Uh, 17 wins, six overtime losses or shootout losses. That's putting me at 40 right there. And so that's where I've got them in my head. I think uh, we'll see how some of the other uh, analytics uh, folks out there project them and where they land there. But uh, I think they're going to be hard pressed to beat that win total just with all the different challenges they're going to face this season. I think that's fair. I mean, it's still a tough division. Like, like I don't certainly don't think they're they get an easier road than they would have had in the Atlantic. It, you know, I, I don't know if it's much tougher, but I think it's it's comparable. You still have those three top teams that, uh, like we talked about, you're going to be hard pressed to win 
much of anything against. And I, I'm also interested, you know, Detroit is the kind of team that when they're successful, it usually means a relatively, do we want to call it ugly game, low uneventful game? Like you're talking about these muck and grind games. I almost wonder if it gets easier for these teams that will be more talented than them on paper to solve that the more times they play them. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. You know, at the same token, uh, teams have not been very successful at solving John Tortorella in Columbus and how much <laughs> that's fair. fucking grind that they go that way, right? You know, you put Tampa against them and Tampa really didn't like it uh, in 2018, 2019. Toronto really didn't like it in 2019, 2020. That being said, Detroit does not have the same skill level that Tortorella has to to execute that same kind of muck and grind system. And Detroit did, has not had the same level of goaltending uh, or defensive play to to do that. So I think that was part of the issue was, you know, for the last few seasons, Jeff Blaschel's kind of uh, operated with this low event style where he does want to limit chances in both directions. And simply last season was was the first time he didn't have enough talent to really make a significant impact. So, you know, it'll be interesting uh, to see if with all the uh, offseason additions, the, the roster changes, uh, if the Wings now have enough to be able to get back to that system. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So the sneaky element of all of this, and one that I have absolutely no idea what the effect is going to be, the Red Wings haven't played, they won't have played in 10 months by the time the first game begins. Training camp obviously starts in a couple weeks, it'll be about two weeks. Um, There's not going to be any exhibitions. How do you see that impacting things for a team that is going to have, in a lot of cases, very much rust? You know, some some cases like Philip Zadina and Philip Peronik, they've basically been in season for almost three months now. Um, but how do you see no preseason impacting the quality of hockey? Maybe injuries. Maybe uh, you know how you know how high scoring do you expect these early games to be? How long do you think it takes everyone to look themselves? And what does it really mean for the Red Wings in the big picture? Yeah, I mean, the, the no preseason is sort of interesting because, you know, usually the preseason was eight or nine games. The Most of the games are filled in by guys who are not even going to be on the NHL roster. Your your NHL players would typically get, uh, you know, somewhere around two or three games where they would get in. The games were definitely not played at, at full pace um, or at full level, and it was mostly for the guys competing for spots. I think I draw a parallel to the NFL this season. The NFL canceled all of its preseason games this year. Uh, and you look at how some of those teams started, I can't say that there were really negative effects, um, at least for the NFL players uh, going forward. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was Patrick Mahomes in week one, and there wasn't really anything different uh, in, in that sense. And I don't think that 
at least from what I follow on Twitter, that there hasn't really been a measurable, you know, change in scoring, success rates of certain types of plays, things like that uh, in the NFL with the lack of preseason, uh, especially early on. So I have to imagine it's not that big of a deal. Now, that being said, the Wings have had guys who haven't played in, like you said, Max, 10 months. Uh, Obviously, Zadina has been playing over in the Czech League, um, and he'll probably be the freshest guy uh, Matthias Bromi is coming back over from Sweden. Uh, he'll be fresh. Michael Rasmussen's coming back from Austria. He should be, you know, fresh and, and having been playing. But the other guys really haven't been. I mean, Philip Ronick on defense is there, uh, but everyone else is not. We haven't seen Danny DeKaiser in a long time. Uh, so, so it is going to be interesting to see how these guys look when their first game back is, hey, this is NHL action and, and this counts. Um, my personal gut feeling is it's not going to have a me- measurable difference or it's not going to look ugly or cluttered any more so than it already would. Yeah, I could buy that. And I, I think the fact that it's going to be everybody doing it um, and not just like one team. I mean, I-, I know there was a lot made, including by us, about the layoff that the Red Wings were going to face relative to teams that got to come back to the playoffs. Ultimately, though, for most of those teams, uh, it wasn't very long. Now, for two of the teams who it was very long for, um, that w- those teams are in the Red Wings division. I also kind of wonder, I mean, those teams have had relatively similar rest to what they normally would have gotten coming off a of Stanley Cup final berth. But in the past, it, it's fair to say that, you know, you, you can wonder about, you know, kind of cup hangover for teams that played really late into the season. Um, that could be in play possibly. Um, and certainly there's some news out of Tampa Bay this morning that we'll get to in a second that uh, obviously impacts the makeup for them and, and what they'll look like. But I, I think I'm with you. I, I don't think it's going to change my overall assessment of uh, of, of or, or certainly predictions. And, and I think ultimately maybe a game, maybe two games to, to look, you know, real crisp and real normal. Um, but but then I think it'll it'll be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good hockey as, as we would like it to be. Yeah, I mean, the, the fun part with all of this, right, is, you know, if you just think back all the way to when this first got stopped. You know, those those seven teams that were excluded from everything were certainly promised yes, uh, or that they would explore earlier training camps, exhibition games, things like that. And now that we're coming back to it, none of that happened. And the wings got screwed over in the draft. So congratulations. We have completed 2020 in a full circle fashion. Oh, you're not big on uh, on those three extra days. I am. I, <laughs> you know, those three extra days would have made a huge difference here. I actually think it makes almost zero difference. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's it is funny. It is funny of like here, here you go. <laughs> hey, hey, congratulations! This is your reward. Enjoy the fourth overall pick. I know, I know, it's hilarious. Um, okay, so let's talk about the roster because I think that's what a lot of people listening are going to want us to uh, to spend some time on here today. Two questions for you: Is the pool of players that is gonna that the roster is going to be picked from? complete. We know there's obviously a taxi squad and all that, but but the pool of players who will make up both the active roster, 23 men, uh, and the taxi squad, is the pool of players complete or do we think there's going to be another signing or trade? And number two, how do we see it shaping up? We'll have a lot more time, uh, obviously, once training camp begins to, to work into the, the nitty gritty of lines and, and all that stuff and, and obviously some of the bubble spots. But let's kind of give a, an, an overview right here. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, I think the roster is complete at this point. You know, the Wings have 22 guys on the active roster. They've got 45 of 50 contracts signed. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, about nine and a half million in cap space that they certainly could use. 
Um, but the way it stands right now, I think I think their active roster is exactly what you see. Um, and then the fact that they have this taxi squad of, you know, four to six players, I think that'll be the interesting piece to see who who gets on there. But I think the pool of available players uh, is complete right now. I don't think you're going to have any extra guys um, coming in uh, and being signed right now because I think the Wings have plenty of options to work with and in all likelihood want to preserve uh, that cap space uh, that they've got right now to potentially uh, utilize in future deals. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the big hit to this coming um, with the news that Nikita Kucherov from Elliot Friedman this morning uh, could end up on LTIR for Tampa Bay. That really is a big uh, factor for what the Red Wings roster picture looks like only because there was such an obvious potential fit between Detroit and Tampa Bay in helping Tampa Bay clear cap space. With that kind of coming into the full, if that is indeed how it plays out and, and Kucherov ends up on LTIR, Tampa Bay doesn't need to uh, make any really moves to get cap compliant. You know, To me at that point, then you're looking at maybe you make one more depth signing from the free agent market, but I don't see it being a real impactful thing. I mean, you look at I think the name that most people have asked me about um, in, in comment sections and in live chats over the last couple of months has been Eric Halla. I mean, the Red Wings certainly can't say they're a deep enough team at center that they don't they couldn't use Eric Halla. But I also think between Robbie Fabry and Vladislav Nemesnikov, two guys who the Red Wings who have multi multi position you know versatility, but the Red Wings have kind of talked about the potential for Fabry to play center, and certainly Nemesnikov has actually more NHL experience at center. I don't know that you need Halla really. Um, it makes you deeper if you sign him, and that's fine, and it certainly would, would help uh, maybe trend things to the higher end of their potential outcomes this year. But I don't know that it's make or break, and especially as Michael Rasmussen and eventually Joe Valeno um, are eligible to join the team later in the season, you also might want some roster space for your young guys as, as things wear on. So um, I actually think they should be done unless they're going to take on that, that cap contract. Um, and I do think they, they probably are. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's two potential moves I see here. One, so, you know, we talked about how Tampa is probably uh, safe with Kucherov hitting LTIR, but there is one team that has not solved their cap problem, and that's the New York Islanders. Yeah. Matt Barzal does not have a contract. They have $4 million in cap space. Johnny Boychuk will go on, on long-term injured reserve, and, and that will help, but I don't think that solves everything for them with Matt Barzell. They also only have 20 guys on their active roster right now, um, which again, you can do that. The Leafs are likely going to do that, but uh, the Islanders to me strike me as a team that is going to start getting desperate relatively soon if they're not close with Barzell. Uh, so that would potentially be one option is Detroit, you know, finds a, a, a move there, um, whether it's you know, saying, hey, are you willing to throw Anthony Beauvillier out as a name because you're going to have to deal with his contract the year after? Or, you know what, let me take Cal Clutterbuck in two years of three and a half million, but you're going to throw some extra stuff in. So the Islanders could be a team that the the Wings could certainly pick on. The other thing that I think the Wings would have to consider is uh, another goaltender. And so with the current rules requiring that they're going to have to carry three goalies between the active roster and the taxi squad, you have to ask yourself, with all the goalies I have signed right now, am, do I want to carry, who, who's the other guy I'm going to carry? Is it Caden Fulcher that you're going to bring along as your third goalie? 
who is that going to be? Or this would be potentially one scenario where you bring back Jimmy Howard for the year and let him be your taxi squad guy, something like that. But if they're going to have to carry three goalies at all times between taxi squad and an active roster, I could see them adding another goaltender solely for that purpose. Cause I don't know that any of the guys, um, you know, that they have currently signed right now are candidates to, to be on that taxi squad. Well, I actually think they have a couple of decent options, but it, it is a question of if those are the guys that are thrust into action, how comfortable are you with it? Now, where Detroit is as a franchise, you know, this isn't the the, the draft that I think there'll be a lot of conversation around uh, teams trying to get up in the lottery for or anything like that. But, you know, teams generally still uh, in, in the Red Wings position aren't harmed by a, a, a few losses here and there due to goaltending. And, you know, may, that honestly with Chicago rebuilding may help explain their situation a little bit. Um, but, you know, when you look at Calvin Pickard and you look at Kevin Boyle, who's newly signed uh, AHL goalie, one of those guys on the taxi squad would allow room for Philip Larson in the AHL again if he's deemed ready for that. That's not the worst thing in the world, especially as the AHL uh, starts up. Um, but yeah, I, to your point, you know, if they wanted to circle back with someone like a Jimmy Howard, I, I do think Jimmy Howard, even for all his struggles last year, um, probably is an upgrade if an NHL game needs to be played with one of those guys in net, assuming he's you know kept in, in NHL form and, and, and fitness and all that over the offseason, um, if he's still on kind of a, a, a preparing-to-play regimen. Um, I still think that that's, that's you know, feasible for those purposes. Um, and, you know, it would be kind of a feel-good story for, for Jimmy, who it would be tough to see his career go out the way it, it went last season. But I think the Red Wings are okay there if they want to stand pat. I think between Boyle and Pickard, you know, Pickard's got NHL experience. Haven't been real impressed with him at the NHL level since Detroit signed him. But in a pinch... For a rebuilding team, you don't really have playoff hopes on the line. I don't. I don't think that's a bad option. Yeah, I mean Pickard, to my knowledge, has not been recalled yet. Um, he's on loan right now, uh, playing in Vienna. So unless he's been recalled or they recall him soon, I don't know that he's going to be eligible in time. So they very well could proceed with Kevin Boyle or Caden Fulcher. Um, but that's kind of where you know potentially they do look at a guy like Howard and bring him back to to let him finish his year. I mean. We have to remember how bad Jimmy Howard's year was last year. Just an absolute nightmare. It hasn't didn't win a game after Halloween of last season. And so uh, arguably he's a guy who who may want to come back and maybe be itching to get something. But, you know, that being said, I don't think that's a done deal or in, in any sense. I think they very well could say Kevin Boyle's fine. Caden Fulcher's fine. Or we're going to recall Calvin Pickard and, yeah. and he's going to be fine. Um, so, you know, that'll be the other uh, interesting piece there. Um, and then, you know, going back to your Eric Halla point, you know, Detroit could always take the the method of the Oklahoma City Thunder. If you look at kind of how for the NBA fans who paid a lot of attention to the Thunder, all the Thunder did for basically the last season was acquire players and then flip them for picks. Yeah. And now Oklahoma City has basically every pick in the next seven drafts because all they did was acquire guys in trades and then trade them for picks. You know, you could be aggressive if you're Detroit and say, Hey, Eric Hall is a guy who could potentially be a 20 goal scorer. Let me let give him a big spotlight here, similar to what you're doing with Bobby Ryan and then flip him for draft picks. So that, again, wouldn't be a bad idea, um, you know, if you're Detroit. But, you know, I don't think they're going to make any of those moves. 
I'm also interested in this year because of how late the trade deadline is. I mean, it's always relatively late. I think it's usually six weeks left in the season. This week, I think it's like less than 30 days left in the season at the time the trade deadline hits. I wonder what that's going to do to pricing on guys, Uh, like what, what a guy gets you for what could be. I don't know, 14 games, 10 games, 12 games, something like that. It's going to be really interesting because a lot more teams should be able to be spenders Mm -hmm. because of how the cap is going to be calculated, right? So, you know, because the season is compressed over 116 days, uh, each day that you have guys on the taxi squad, these teams are going to be able to accrue more and more cap space on a daily basis. And so conceivably, when teams hit the trade deadline, they're going to have more cap space than they typically would. And that may make teams more aggressive at the deadline, even though it is only for 10 or 14 games or whatever it may end up being. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So elsewhere on the roster, I, I see the last defense spot after DeKaiser, Heronic, assuming DeKaiser plays, DeKaiser, Heronic, Nemeth, Stetcher, Merrill as a big battleground for training camp. And I see really the 12th forward spot as a big battleground. I, I think if everyone's healthy, your locks are Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha, Zadina, Nemesnikov, Fabry, Ryan, Gagne, Philpola, Glendening, Helm. Franz Nielsen's contract would indicate he's likely there. I think you can argue based on performance last year. Is he in your top 12? I don't think I'd put him there, but I could, yeah, you can see him getting some benefit of the doubt potentially, just if we're talking realistically. Um, Let's, let's go off the beaten path here then and just say, let's say he's not in the 12. You got Gagne, Philpola, Fabry, Nemesnikov, Glendening, Helm, all can play some center. I don't think you're worried about replacing the position there. I got a list of about five guys who I think can contend for that spot, and that's Matthias Brome, Evgeny Svechnikov, Giovanni Smith, Adam Ernie, maybe Michael Rasmussen, I guess, and then Nielsen. How do you, How would you see a competition between those guys shaking out? You know, I think looking at how Jeff Blaschel has utilized these players and and utilized his roster over the last few years, I don't think he's necessarily the kind of guy who's going to take a offensive minded player and stick them on the fourth line with Glendening and Helm, which is likely how that uh, is going to shake out. So to me, I think the natural inclination is Adam Ernie is going to win that spot out. The guy who can grind play there. Giovanni Smith also would be a great option um, you know, especially because he gives you that added net front presence on on the power play. You know, we've seen Michael Rasmussen play third and fourth line minutes when he was up in 2018, 2019. But I know Detroit doesn't really want him 
in that role, playing with Glenn Denning and Helm, they probably want him playing higher in the lineup. So my feeling is that that goes to Adam Ernie or, or Giovanni Smith, the two guys who are probably best suited in Blaschel's system to play fourth line minutes. Yep, I think that's a fair that's a fair point, and I think if we're if we're handicapping it, I think I would go be right there with you. I will say I think I can make a good case for Evgeny Sveshnikov to get a look there. It all rests on him. He has to show it in camp that he's good enough to play not just the the offensive game but the defensive game and and, and play with grinders to to win that role. Um, and really, even if he's playing. Even if he were to go a line up, right? Even if he were to play with, let's say, you know, Gagne and Fabry or Gagne and Ryan, he's still going to have to, w- with those line mates, he would have to show um, that he can be responsible, right? So, but I think there's a, a good reason if you're Detroit that you want to put him in a position to really show it because it's been a lot of years now where for for even some good reasons, you're having to kind of kick the evaluation can down the road for him. A lot of it's injury and then recovery, but now we're five years out from his draft. If I'm a person in power in the Red Wings organization, I, I would say, you know, give me five to 10 games of Evgeny Svechnikov in a role where he can really succeed and let's see what happens. Now, we know that NHL, you know, coaches have to think about winning. That's how their jobs are determined. Um, even in rebuilding organizations, they have to think about how to be the most competitive as possible. Because they they ultimately have to be charged with keeping a competitive culture in the locker room. So that's the best argument against it. I don't think it's the worst argument in the world. Um, but I, if I'm a decision maker, I would really like to see Evgeny Svechnikov and just what he can do. It doesn't have to be the whole season or anything, but commit to two or three weeks of just put him in a position and see what he gives you. I, I think that's important. It doesn't have to be on opening night, but at some point in the year, I think you'd like to see something like that. Yeah, I think you'd absolutely like to see it. And, and you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to do it at the start of the season because I think the important thing with Svechnikov is waivers are in effect for yes. him. Um, and to go back and forth between the taxi squad, if waivers are required, then the player must pass through waivers. So, you know, if you give Svechnikov his shot and it doesn't work out, there's a chance that if you try to put him back on your taxi squad, you lose him for nothing. Um, again, you know, Detroit has to make that conscious decision. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But, you know, the moment he gets that call up, he has to know that his future in Detroit is riding on yeah. what he does because he could very easily be lost on waivers or traded if if that's the move that the Wings do. So uh, he sh- he certainly deserves the shot. Um, I don't think you want to give up on a first round pick without really ever giving them a sustained shot. Um, but, you know, definitely this could be the last season you see him in Detroit based on uh, kind of his need to go through waivers and. uh um, you know, the what the Wings are going to have to do with that final roster spot. Yeah, it's going to be a huge camp for him. Maybe no one has uh, kind of higher stakes on this camp, I, I think you could say, than, than Evgeny Svechnikov. I do wonder, if he went on waivers, what do you think the odds are he gets claimed? I mean, that's a, it's obviously always a threat. He's a former first-round pick. But I, I also wonder if teams who are going to have their own, you know, big roster decisions right on the bubble, we know teams kind of can tend to overvalue their own players. And we know that uh, any team who's claiming him would know that Detroit had just seen whatever he did in camp, even if they haven't seen it. They didn't see him in the preseason. They'll know that the Red Wings are allowing one of their former first-round picks to be exposed. Do you think there's like a better-than-not chance that he would get claimed? I think, you know, it, it might go similar to Timishov, how he okay. went last year, where I think you would see a team towards the bottom like Detroit or Ottawa 
you know, take the flyer. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ottawa bid on it. And then I also wouldn't be surprised if Carolina bid on it from the fact that they have obviously Andre down um, on their team. Now, that being said, you know, all depend on how Carolina has uh, their taxi squad set up. If he has a role there, what if they think they see anything in him, I would put it at a non-zero chance that he's claimed. But I, I agree with you that I don't think it's like a hundred percent chance he's claimed. I think it's more likely that he actually passes through. But I could see two, you know, those two teams uh, being teams that would pick him up just to see if there is anything in the tank. Yeah, I mean the other the other kind of factor to this is is how many free agents are still out there. Like Andreas Athanasiu still doesn't have a contract, so in a pinch, the team might very well be deciding: Do I add Evgeny Svechnikov on waivers, or do I sign Andreas Athanasiu or something like that? And those are that's another wrinkle this year um, that might not apply in most years. So I, I agree with you. I think he's more likely to pass, but but it, but non-zero is a good way to put it because I, I certainly wouldn't feel you know, the most confident putting him on waivers that, that, that I was going to be able to, to get him through if I was a GM. I think that's fair. Yep. All right. Uh, last thing we'll talk about before we let everybody go for today. Um, and then obviously we'll be back soon here now that we're more regular again, but just kind of broad season expectations. We'll do kind of our bold predictions episode when we get closer to the game. Once, once we've got some eyes on training camp and all that, but what do you expect out of a year like this? How much stock do you put into it? Do you treat it like a normal year? And what are the things you're most looking to see out of maybe specific players? You know, I, I think you have to put stock in in what you get out of this season because it is still an NHL season. It's a development season uh, for the team, and it's a young team, so you're looking for guys to take steps forward. I think for me, the big thing I'm going to be paying attention to, how do the young guys look? You know, how does Philip Zadina look at the beginning of the season given that he's been playing in the Czech League for the last few weeks and looking pretty good? Uh, he's a guy that you're looking to take that big next step. He looked good in flashes last season, then got injured, was unable to you know, really finish out the season. Uh, you want to see a big start from him because that's going to signify how close you are to turning the corner on this rebuild. If he takes a big step forward, then yeah, the, the, the wheels are in motion. If he takes a step back, then you're kind of left with, okay, how much further away am I? So I think he's a big piece here. I think Philip Peronik is another guy I have my eye on. I think a lot of us have high hopes on him being a number one defenseman. The Red Wings certainly asked him to be a number one defenseman last yeah. year. But as the season went on, he wore down and he took a lot of heat. He should have Danny DeKaiser back, Troy Stetcher, John Merrill. These are guys who are going to add valuable minutes. They're going to be able to take away some of the minutes that Heronic was playing. He's not going to have to play 25, 26 minutes a night. How does he look when he's fresher? How does he look with a little bit more uh, competent defensive partner? Uh, Those are questions that I want to see from Philip Aronik, because if he can take that step forward or if he can sustain that consistent top two or top three level, then again, Detroit has another piece there based, you know, to go along with how well Moritz Sider is playing in Sweden. If he takes that step back, or kind of shows you he's better suited as a number four, uh, even a number five, then again, you have a lot more information to learn there, especially with this 2021 draft draft coming up that is very defenseman-laden in the first round. Uh, that may steer your choice there if you're not uh, in, in the right spot. And then, you know, last but not least is what do these taxi squad guys do and, and how much time do they get to rotate in? You know, Matthias Bromi is a guy we haven't seen in Detroit a uh, very skilled guy having a great season over in Sweden right now, but we haven't seen him 
And then same thing, Dennis Chalowski's a guy I would expect to be on the taxi squad. Um, and again, he's another guy just like Svechnikov running up on the end of his time here in Detroit. We, you know, you got to see him take that next step and, you know, find a way to, to get moving forward because if he doesn't, He's another guy who may not be here much longer. Yeah, I think all great points. I agree with you completely about the two Phillips, Zadina and Hironik, and and how big uh, it's going to be for the Red Wings if if either of them can take a step forward. And conversely, you know, it, suddenly it's it's a little questionable if they don't. Um, I mean, Philip Zadina especially is still pretty young. He just turned twenty one. But you're really counting on those guys to be top half of the lineup players as you're going forward. If this thing is is going to be on schedule, you'd really like to see it as soon as this year. Agree with you about Svechnikov, Chalowski. I'd actually throw Lindstrom into that tier with those guys. Um, he obviously just got just getting started. He's he's a little younger, um, but you know, just because he's not a guy who's viewed as having a ton of upside, I think you really want to see the floor and you want to see it relatively quickly out of him. Um, and then, yeah, I'm actually interested in in the the big three: Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Mantha, and and how they respond this year. Mantha's got his his long-term deal squared away but you'd like to see what he does in in something that more resembles a full season obviously can he stay healthy but but then can he get back onto that you know 30 to 30 plus goal pace that he's flashed and and it just hasn't necessarily been he hasn't been healthy enough to do it over a full season can he approach it and, and stay relatively healthy this year Bertuzzi is in a contract year that automatically makes him intriguing um, is he going to stay about the level that he's at? Is he going to get any time away from those other two players? Um, and, and, and what's that look like? I mean, I, I think Bertuzzi's a guy that in my mind you want to keep around, especially because of what he's going to be able to do when you're in the playoffs. But if he can show even just a little bit more and a little bit more ability to, to, to drive a line, um, I think you're looking to see that. And then obviously Larkin, I'm not going to say he needs a bounce back. He was still quite good last year. Um, offensively, though, I think you want to see another, you know, a step back toward what he did in 2018-19, right around 30 goals, 70 points. Um, you know, that's an 82-game pace. But if you can get closer to that pace, closer to, you know, 0.9 points per game. And then I want to see him continue to take strides defensively. I think if the Red Wings are going to build around Dylan Larkin, uh, it's got to be as that kind of Ryan O'Reilly, Sean Couturier, Anze Kopitar type center where you're just an elite two-way center. I don't think he's going to be your, you know, superstar Matthews McDavid scorer, although I think he can be a very productive first-line center in the NHL. I think it's got to be as that, as Jeff Blaschel calls it, winning center who's going to be, you know, right there with with the Selkie finalists. And I think that's the trajectory you want to see him get on. He doesn't have to be a top 10 Selkie finisher this year for it to be a success, but I think you want to see him continuing to, to make a strong defensive impact and start to approach some of those names uh, in in the in the conversation of two-way centers in the NHL. Yeah, totally agree there because uh, you know, those three guys uh coupled with how the younger guys go, uh that's really going to color how you proceed here. If those younger guys aren't developing the way that you want, then you start having the difficult conversations of do I trade any of these big three guys and start to reset my timeline a little bit. So, Certainly will be an interesting year to see how those guys go and how the young guys go and, and and really what the Red Wings are able to accomplish. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, we'll get into all that and more in the coming weeks, especially as training camp opens. We'll obviously um, have uh, the holiday here this week, and then the World Juniors begin on, on Christmas Day on the 25th. Uh, I don't think Sweden plays that day. I think they play the next day against the Czech Republic. But, you know, watch Team Sweden. We'll, we'll have a whole episode on the World Juniors 
for you uh, sometime early next week to as they've started and kind of what to continue watching. Um, and then I'll have an article out on on similar topics on the athletic, uh, I believe Tuesday or Wednesday. So look out for that. Uh, and we will we will we are very excited to be officially back at this. So uh, stay tuned for for more episodes. Thanks so much and uh, take care.